A reading from the book of Exodus. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Hahiroth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Ziphon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea, for Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people, and they said, What is this we have done? that we would let Israel go from serving us. So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen, and his army, and overtook them encamped at the sea by pi in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us to, in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground, and I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was a cloud and dark and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. 
And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. Of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus, the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Good to see you. Please be seated. If I haven't met you, my name is uh, Father Aaron Damiani, and I invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 14 as we continue on in our series, God of the Impossible. Now, there's a big difference between a second-hand description and a first-hand experience, isn't there? A huge difference between a second-hand description and a first-hand experience. Some... uh, have heard perhaps, you've heard secondhand about what it's like to not be in the Midwest and to actually be in the mountains, right? And to stand on top of a 14,000 foot mountain and how beautiful the vistas are, but it's totally different to actually hike up that mountain all day long and to look out and see the beautiful sky. Your friends can describe to you the new video game that has just dropped. They can tell you all about the graphics and the storyline and the strategy that was used. But the firsthand experience is a lot more fun. Or what about in any line of work? You know, the secondhand description that you get in the training is so different from being placed in an internship, placed in a residency, and actually getting involved in the work, the field work, where you're just like thrown into the deep end. It's like there's a huge gulf between how they told me it would be and how it actually is. Now, there's nothing wrong with secondhand descriptions, per se. It can actually be very helpful, very useful. But firsthand experiences will change your life. Firsthand experiences will leave you uh, changed. Where it's the knowledge actually becomes real, it sinks in. You become a different person. Now, listen, the same is true in the life of faith. You can hear secondhand descriptions of of God's goodness all day long, God's power all day long, but at one point, you hit a saturation point and it just goes in one ear and out the other. It's like, I'm tired of hearing about this. Our hearts don't actually trust something secondhand, do they? They don't trust something secondhand. Secondhand faith falls uh, far below God's actual power, God's actual glory. And it's just talk after a while. So actually, we need, you and I need, a firsthand experience of God speaking to us, 
or of God bringing us through a trial or showing himself to be of greater worth than anything else in the world. We've got to walk away from that experience going, it's true. It's not just words. Now, the Israelites got this firsthand experience in our Exodus reading. And if you turn to Exodus 14, verse 31, it's, if, if it's in your bulletin, it's on page 10. And if it's in your Bibles, um, it's look at the table of contents, but it's Exodus 14, verse 31. Israel saw the great power of the Lord used against the Egyptians. And the people, so the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Israel had a first hand experience of God's power. And what was the result? They saw God use his power to defeat the Egyptians. As a result, they actually feared the Lord and they actually believed in the Lord. That's firsthand faith. Their confidence in the Lord after this experience skyrocketed. They saw his great power. They, they, they realized God is to be held in awe. We must worship him. We must worship him above Pharaoh, above Egypt, above anything in this world. And they took that firsthand faith into new challenges where their faith would be tested again and again. They would need that firsthand faith. Listen, God wants everyone here to have firsthand faith. Descriptions are helpful. Sermons are helpful. Testimonies are helpful. I want you to have a testimony. Every single person here of God's power and God's goodness. I have especially in mind the youth and the young adults who are making this transition from a faith that is given to you. It was given to you. And now you are wrestling with how much are you going to step into this faith? I've been thinking about you this week. I've been praying for you this week. And I'm asking God specifically to give you something firsthand. Do you want that? Are you praying for that? Our Exodus story is going to show us three ways that God gives us firsthand faith. These aren't the only three ways. This is just, it's embedded in this story, so let's talk about it. There's other ways too. But the first way is that he's going to give perplexing plans to follow, okay? Perplexing plans. He also helps us feel his presence. And then finally, he displays his awesome power. Let's talk about the perplexing plans to follow. Um, Okay, this is going to get hard to say after a while. Perplexing plans are perplexing. They don't make sense. They're frustrating. When we hear them described, they're like, they, they don't add up to us. They don't leave us with any good options from our perspective, yet they are often God's chosen ways to give us firsthand faith. Now, case in point is, is the first few verses of our, of our reading in Exodus 14. The Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back. Tell them to what? To turn back? To turn back. And, um, and actually, from where, from where are you going? You're going in this direction. I want you to turn back and go the other direction. Why? Verse three, so that Pharaoh will save the people of Israel. They're wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. Now, listen, you and your ancestors have been in slavery under Pharaoh in Egypt for 400 years. And this is your moment to get out. All right, 
So they're finally, they're on the edge of the wilderness. They're pushing out of Egypt. They're right about, and God says to Moses, hey, tell them to turn around and go back. I wouldn't want to be Moses right about then. Communicating that bad news. And also just this idea that Pharaoh's going to see you going back and think they're wandering, they're weak, they're sitting ducks. Now is time to pounce. I just want to stop right here and acknowledge how frustrating it is when God seems to change things up for us. After we thought he was leading us in a certain direction, he's like, actually, change of plans. We're, we're shifting this way. Um, or here's a complication in your life that you never asked for. Um, because listen, I love it when God's instructions make sense to me. It's fun to follow God when his instructions make total sense. You're like, yes, I can see how that all adds up. But what happens when, you know, all of a sudden God's instruction seems to not make sense at all? It seems like going back seems like a setback. Or God's instructions don't work out from our perspective. And, and actually, I begin to wonder, boy, is God with me at all? Is he with us at all? Did I not hear him right? Am I going in the wrong way? Have you ever wondered, like, does God actually care anymore? Because I don't hear his voice anymore or his instructions don't make sense. Is he toying with me? Is he testing me? What's happening right now? I think the, um, the most perplexing part of the plan for the Israelites must have been that it worked. Okay, Pharaoh actually did think that they were sitting ducks and he actually went after them. You look at verses nine and 10, you can see just put yourself in the Israelite shoes for just a minute and think about what this would have been like. The, verse 9, the Egyptians pursued them and all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army and overtook them. And then as he's drawing near, verse 10, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. Just There's just an entire fleet of Pharaoh's army, the, the most probably equipped and advanced, uh, you know, army in the world. Chariots, you know, chariots were the ancient version of tanks. Just imagine huge chariots coming after you and they're like tanks in your eyes being swarmed by them. There's hundreds of the finest chariots, uh, Exodus 14 says. Then there's the, all the other chariots and they're all coming after the same group of people. And you're there like with your grandma and your, you know what I mean? And you're like, what's happening? What am I? And Pharaoh's coming after you and it's the soldiers and it's the swords and it's the horses and they're snorting and they're coming after you. They're going to run you down. They're going to take you captive once again. They're going to kill some of you. The rest of you like, come on back. We're building more pyramids. Come on back. Guess what? You'll always be in this situation. We're talking about another 400 years here. Perplexing plans. What is happening here? They said to Moses, verse 11, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? They've got enough mind left for the sarcasm. What have you done in bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we tell you to leave us alone in Egypt? They didn't actually say that, but, um, you know, in the moment, you're angry, you're mad. Feels like it's, you know, Moses' fault or the Lord's fault. What's happening? Listen, here's what God's perplexing plans often do for us. They reveal where our firsthand faith really is. That's what a lot of times what happens. 
when when God's plans scramble the board, like where's our faith actually at? And what we see here is that the Israelites actually had firsthand faith in Pharaoh. They said, why'd you take us away from Pharaoh? It's better to serve Pharaoh. At least it's a better deal. That's the best deal we can get is to serve Pharaoh. Even after seeing the Lord's awesome power in the 10 plagues, they still feared Pharaoh at the end of the day more than the Lord. But the only way of knowing that is if the plans were a little bit off where all of a sudden they had to like see where their trust really was. Listen, so many of us have firsthand faith in the outcomes we want. That's where our faith really is. This relationship was supposed to work out. Um, my, my, my child was supposed to follow Christ. The deal was supposed to go through. That leader was always supposed to be there for me. Listen, when the outcomes let us down, that's when we realized that our faith was in the outcomes we wanted rather than in the Lord. And it's a holy moment. It's hard to see it, but it's a holy moment because it's an opportunity to see firsthand faith strengthened within us. This can happen to strong Christians, my friend. Uh, Some of you know about New York City pastor and author Tim Keller. He was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer a few years ago and that he said, wow, I've been preaching on the hope of the resurrection for decades. But now that I actually have cancer, I'm afraid of dying. And I only half believe in the resurrection in my heart. And he realized, I don't actually, maybe I kind of believe Jesus will raise me from the dead, but I kind of don't. And now I see it. And so he started praying for the Holy Spirit to apply the truth of the resurrection of Jesus to his heart, not just to his mind, but to his heart, given that firsthand faith at a deeper level. We're always going to need this. Even Tim Keller needed it. So notice Moses here. I want us to see Moses because this is what happens when we get firsthand faith. You see Moses' response to God's perplexing plans in verse 13 and 14. Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. Now, here's a man with firsthand faith, and it didn't come easy. Uh, God's perplexing plans for Moses included getting separated from his mom and dad when he was in it, um, being raised by the oppressors of his own people, spending 40 years in exile after making a huge mistake in his life, being called by God from a burning bush, no less, to go confront Pharaoh, who was one of the most evil rulers in the world, to go toe-to-toe with him. Moses knew the ways of God. He knew God's going to give you plans that don't feel good and don't make sense at first, but you can trust him in the end. He comes through in the end. And, and so Moses can see the whole thing from God's perspective. He can see all the chariots coming through. He can see Pharaoh coming at him. He can see all of the horses. And he's like, actually, this is a good thing. And so he, and he even tells them this. Listen, Israelites, if you didn't see the Egyptians, you should be worried. It's actually God's flushing them out. He's flushing out evil. Now he can deal with evil. We're, we're afraid. We, we're seeing the whole thing backwards. We think that it's a bad thing that we're seeing the Egyptians. 
Moses says, no, actually, this is a very good thing because God is going to deal with them once and for all. And so you don't have to fight. All you have to do is stand, right? All you have to do is stand in the plan. You don't have to fight. You just have to stand in the evil day. You just have to stand firm. You have to stand in what God has asked you to do. You have to stand in the promises of God. You have to stand in the goodness of God. That's how firsthand faith is formed, especially when those perplexing plans start to unfold. God forms firsthand faith in us by giving us perplexing plans. Do you have any of those in your life? Are there any curveballs that have been thrown your way this year? Uh, Any setbacks, any crises of faith where you're like, where is God? I can just say right now, based on Exodus 14, that's good news because God uses perplexing plans to shake things up and to strengthen our faith. But lest that sound too distant or too cruel, let's talk about the second thing, which is the presence of God, the enveloping, gracious, loving presence of God. I remember years ago, I was learning how to snowboard with a group of friends. Now, I knew how to ski. I could get down the hill in one piece on a pair of skis, but I didn't know how to snowboard and I wanted to learn. And it's hard to learn how to snowboard, I learned. Uh, I took many, many falls. My wrists and backside hurt so much by the end of that day. But I'll never forget that uh, one of the group, one of the guys in the group stayed with me the whole time I was learning how to snowboard. He knew how to snowboard. He was great at it. But he just knew that I was learning. And so he just stuck with me the whole time. When I was there, when I was falling, he had a hand to pick me up. When I was like going downhill and wondering if I was going to hit a tree, he was right there to pick up the pieces. When I finally got down the hill in one piece on a snowboard, he was there to celebrate. And listen, I have never forgotten that. I've never forgotten that, that Jeff stuck with me the whole time when I was learning how to snowboard. God does the same for us. He doesn't just take us into these unusual situations, into perplexing plans. He's actually with us the whole time. And this was the case for Israel. As they left Egypt, God's presence took two forms, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And even this week, we can think about like, what's the difference on a hot day when there's a cloud covering the sun and you're in shade versus what it's like to be just the sun bearing down on you. There's a huge difference. There's relief and comfort from that cloud. Or have you ever been in the middle of the woods in the night and the comfort and the, uh, just that sense of safety from a bonfire in the middle of the woods, and especially if it's cold, you have a bonfire to get near. God's presence was tangible for the Israelites. It was huge. It was enveloping. It was close, going with them the whole time, leading them. Hey, here's where to go over here now. Now go over here. It was like the Lord was shepherding his people, leading them like a shepherd through this uh, fire and cloud. Now here's a critical moment in verses 19 and 20. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. Coming between the army of Egypt, otherwise translated the host of Egypt, and the host of the army of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Now, what's happening here? The angel of the Lord, this is the, this is a, 
uh, an angel from heaven protecting and guiding is with the Israelites and is also probably taking the form of or ruling over the cloud that is covering them. And the angel of the Lord takes the cloud and moves it in between the Israelites and the Egyptians. And he's blinding the Egyptians. This It's at night, and yet the cloud is bright, and it's blinding them. And I grew up in Ohio driving at night, and sometimes it would be foggy. And there's no streetlights on these long roads. And sometimes what would happen is, I'm driving, I'm trying to make my way home, it's foggy, it's dark, and someone comes at me with their brights on. Has that ever happened to you? And all of a sudden, your visibility goes down to zero. It's like the cloud becomes bright, there's fog, there's light, and it's, yet it's dark outside, and you're like, I just need to stay alive right now. Here's what's happening. God is creating conditions to blind the uh, Egyptians from seeing and attacking the Israelites. That's the form of his, his presence is protective. It's covering the Israelites and it's uh, blocking the Egyptians from getting at them. And how strengthening this must have been to be ever so close to your enemy and yet God is standing right between you and your enemy. St. Patrick has this prayer uh, called the breastplate of St. Patrick. And it goes like this, Christ be with me, Christ within me, Christ beside me and before me, uh, Christ to win me, Christ to comfort and restore. And it says this, I will arise with the strength of heaven. He would pray this in the morning, trusting in your light to guide my journey, shine before me, lead me home. That's firsthand faith because he's actually beginning to exercise the imagination of God is with me in this trial. and I'm asking him to cover me completely behind me, in front of me, all around me, above me, below me. This is Emmanuel, God with us, who never leaves us or forsakes us. Jesus is God's good shepherd to us. He's the angel of the Lord that stands with us and protects us from enemies and from evil. And he feeds us with his word and sacrament. Now, many of you have have had this experience. Have you had this experience? You're in one of the hardest times of your life. You're in a great trial. It's a medical situation. It's a relational situation. It's a big change. It's a move. And the Lord draws near to you in a way that you know he's with you. He's comforting you. He's guiding you. Scriptures are speaking to you like they've never spoken to you before. There's a lot of pain, but the Lord is drawing near and he's getting you through the trial. Have you ever had this experience? This is one of the primary ways God uh, gives us that firsthand faith. You're like, I'll never read that psalm the same way because that was the psalm I read every single day of the trial where I couldn't see a way out. God was with me every step of the way. Um, Sometimes we wish he would just take care of it. Don't you wish that sometimes? Just take care of it. Just make this whole thing go away. And he says, one day, one day that will happen. Right now, I'm just going to be with you. I'm going to be your cloud. I'm going to be your fire. I'm going to be your word and sacrament. I'm going to be your shepherd. I'm going to walk with you every single day. And so we pray that that prayer of St. Patrick and we, and we picture God's enveloping presence all around us, even though the situ, even though there's Egyptians inches away, they can't get to us because God's protecting us. God gives us these plans. They're so perplexing and frustrating and difficult, but then he comes through with his presence. And then finally, God displays his awesome, awesome power. See, listen, the Lord God can do 
what no one else can do. He rescues like no one else. He makes a way that where there's no way at all. He provides where there's absolutely nothing in sight. And then he invites us to walk into it. That's the ways of God. Verse 21 describes this. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And by stretching out his hands, we're we're to understand that the staff of God, which swallowed the Egyptian snakes and ruled over the Egyptian staff is, is in his hands as another sign of God's presence. Anyway, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the water being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Just imagine watching Moses stretch out his hands and for hours watching the Lord send a strong east wind to create something that has never existed before, a wall of water right in the midst of the sea. And in fact, the ground being so dry that you could actually walk on it, the sea floor being so dry that you could walk on it and there's just a tunnel being created. And meanwhile, the spray is hitting your face and you're like, am I dreaming right now? What is happening? I've never seen this before. I've never experienced this before. I've never heard of this before. And you imagine taking the hand of your grandma, who's still alive, and your cousins and walking into that wall of water and stepping one foot in front of the other. How is this happening? How is it that I'm enveloped now, not with a cloud, but with a tunnel of water? And maybe even the fish come to the edge and look at you like they don't know what's going on either. But you keep walking and you walk for hours. It's the strangest day of your life. It's the strangest night of your life. You walk through and you come through on the other end. And the, uh, the elders are ushering everyone. Come on, everyone through, everyone through. It's time to, time, to, time to come on through. And now Moses is on the other side doing the same motion. And you see the wall of water crashing over the enemies that you have feared since you were an infant, since before you even know what fear was, since you could even articulate it, you were afraid of these people, of these chariots, of these horses, of these people that just hated you and used you. And there they are, drowning in the water. There they are, confused. And all of a sudden you realize, oh my word, that's what the plans were all about. This is what God has been up to and dreaming and planning for years. And now I'm seeing it. Now it's all coming together and only he could have done it. And now you have a God story. Now you have firsthand faith. And that's a precious thing to have. That's a precious thing to have. Because when you watch God do the impossible, there's nothing he can't do. Now you know it. Now you can trust him with even more. Now you can give him glory as he is meant to receive it in all the earth. There's a huge disparity between the amount of glory God gets on earth and the amount of glory that he deserves, the amount of glory that his character merits. And the only way for that gap to be closed is for the sons and daughters of God to walk through the waters and be born again and give him the glory that he deserves because they have firsthand faith. When God comes through for us in that high stakes moment, we can look forward to what it says in verse 31, which is where we started. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians 
So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Because if he can drown the most powerful army in all of the ancient world, what can't he do? Um, would you, my friend, like this firsthand faith for yourself? Would you like to know the power of God directly in your own life? Because listen, he's greater than anything in this world that you are currently trusting, that I'm currently trusting. He's greater than that. As we talked about last week, it's putty in his hands, any problem that we have or any hope that we have in the things of this world. Um, listen, Jesus Christ was God's plan that no one understood. No one saw it coming. It was perplexing. Why would God become an infant? Why would he become vulnerable and helpless to live a perfect human life, die a gruesome and un unjust death, and then rise to life again? And rather than going to confront his enemies directly, to go encourage his fallen followers directly and encourage them and give them a message, just these few people to go out in all the world to preach the gospel and to baptize people. Who knew that that would work? Who knew that this whole plan that none of us would have planned ourselves would actually flourish 2,000 years later? He is Emmanuel, God with us. And he never leaves us or forsakes us. He is God's matchless power. And listen, the walls of rescue are still open to us. There's that tunnel in the Lord still exists. And if there's something right now that's holding you in bondage, if there's, a, if there's sin that's holding you in bondage or a situation that's unjust that you're in, or there's any kind of situation that you need deliverance from, the walls of water actually are still standing in Jesus Christ. And you can walk through those walls by faith and with thanksgiving saying, Jesus Christ, deliver me, rescue me, forgive my sin, and I will follow you the rest of my life. And he will bring you through those waters and give you a firsthand faith. You can even in this worship service, tell him you want him to be Lord of your life and he will, he will save you. And I encourage you to tell a Christian that you trust that you want to follow Jesus and they will help you take the first next steps. Now, beyond trusting Christ for our ultimate salvation, we can always bring specific situations to him. Don't forget that this Exodus story happened because earlier in Exodus, the people of Israel cried out with a united voice for God to deliver them. And God heard their prayers. And this is the, one of the ways that he responded to their prayer. So I've got a challenge for you if you would like firsthand faith or if you want your firsthand faith to grow and it's a challenge for everyone here. I want you to think of one or more situations that you don't know what to do with. You're absolutely perplexed. You, you, you can't solve it on your own or you want to stop trusting in the wrong masters to save you. I want you to write that situation down right now if you're willing to. Take out a pen, take out a piece of paper if you've got it. And this could be a medical condition you want to see healed. It could be a relational difficulty. It could be something related to your family. It could be our church's worship space that we need uh, long term. It could be, um, it could be the, the plight of the migrants here that are staying um, on this campus. It could be something related to your studies, your job. Write that down. And I want to challenge you to pray every day 
for the next few weeks for that situation. Why not? How else are we going to see God's power? Now, I can't promise you what the outcome will be. I don't know God's plans and God's thoughts, but I do know that he's good, that he's powerful, that he loves you, and that he cares about your specific life and the specific things that you are facing. So I want, I want to challenge you to pray every day, and I'm going to do this as well, things on my list. And then as you see God work, would you please send me the stories, okay? Send me the stories, Aaron at EmmanuelAnglican.org. Seriously, I would love to hear how God has come through for you. I can't promise outcomes, but I can point you to the God of great power whose thoughts and ways are above ours, um, who loves us greatly. There's a big difference between a secondhand description and a firsthand experience. So friends, may we, like the Israelites of old, see the great power that the Lord used against the uh, uh, sin and death and all oppression, may we ourselves fear the Lord and believe in the Lord. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Brothers and sisters, in just a moment, we're gonna pray a prayer of confession. Um, And I don't know if you're like me, but you've received this word of, a lack of faith in your life, whether you might identify with being in the wilderness and being bitter and angry, or your God is too small, or you've got primary faith in yourself, like we can be prone to. I just want to encourage you as we move into confession, the story of, in Mark 9, someone from the crowd brings up their son, and his final cry to Jesus is, I believe, help my unbelief. This isn't someone who's important. God cares about the person from the crowd. So I encourage you to be that person in the crowd this morning, wherever you're struggling is like, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief and bring that to that area that Father Aaron asked you to write down. Dear friends in Christ, here in the presence of Almighty God, let us sit or kneel in silence and with penitent and obedient hearts, confess our sins that we may obtain forgiveness by his infinite goodness and mercy.